Welcome to Conversations with Owens Community College President, Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Welcome to today's episode of the Conversations Podcast. I'm Dr. Dion D. Somerville. Thank you for listening today. Whether this is your first time with us or if you're a longtime follower, we're so happy that you're joining us as we explore the issues and meet the people who are important to Northwest Ohio and to Owens Community College. Please enjoy our previous episodes and subscribe to Conversations to join us for future episodes. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Jason Kuzma, Executive Director and Fiscal Officer of the Toledo-Lucas County Public Library. Jason has worked nearly 20 years in the library and information resources industry. His journey began in Toledo, where he pursued degrees in communications and a master's in American culture studies at Bowling Green State University. During this time, he founded the innovative magazine Clamor and the nonprofit Allied Media Projects. After a stint in Tucson for library science studies and nearly a decade in New York City, Jason returned to Toledo with his wife and twins. He has transitioned from a punk rock enthusiast with pink hair to a suit-and-tie library leader without losing his drive for positive community change. Today, Jason collaborates with regional cultural leaders and serves on several boards, balancing his busy schedule with a passion for reading and a commitment to the Toledo region's vibrant and creative community spirit. Hello, Jason, and thank you for being our guest today. Well, hello, Jason. It is my pleasure to welcome you to the Conversations Podcast. I know that you are a listener of podcasts and you do all these things. And so the pressure is on to make sure that this is a good quality episode because I feel like I have an expert in my midst here. The stakes are high. Yeah. So I can be (laughs) as good as some of the other guests you've had. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) I'm sure you will be. And so as you know, we ask all of our guests, how did you know that you needed to or wanted to have higher education beyond high school? You know, it's interesting. I came from a upper middle class family, so it was kind of a foregone conclusion for me that I was going to go to go into higher education after my uh, after high school. Um, mm-hmm. So it was kind of one of those things. It was not until within the last, I think, 10, 15 years where I started to think for other kids, you know, that that's not always the choice and mm-hmm. there are many of different avenues people can take. So, I, you know, I was just fortunate that that was the, the path my parents laid for me um, in Northeast Ohio, growing up in, in Willoughby, Ohio. And so you crossed from Willoughby with all of the schools that are in that part of the right. state and came to Bowling Green. And can you talk a little bit about your journey to and through and how did that shape you and your career? It's funny, that was an 11th hour decision because I was dead set on going to one of the D3 schools to play college football because mm-hmm. I was on a high school state championship team and uh, we were most of the seniors were going on to play ball and, and in the mm-hmm. 11th hour I said, I don't want to start over. I want to go out as a, as a state champ and decided, well, you know, I had family and friends who were going to Bowling Green. Uh, so I ended up just making the call to go there, and it was an opportunity for me. You know, the school is big enough to get into some trouble and to do the things you need to do <laughs> growing up, going into college. But uh, but also just having you know tremendous opportunity and access to you know, professors there who kind of helped guide my way. And I became a, a DJ at the radio station, and that got me into the communications program. And one thing led to another, and and uh, I ended up staying in Bowling Green for quite a while after after I graduated and worked there and you know, thinking about grad school opportunities and things like that, and then ultimately ended up going to, going to grad school at BGSU as well. So, DJ, what was your show? Uh, you know, I was in, you know, into punk rock and hardcore at the time, so I think, mm-hmm. you know, as all early DJs, I got the overnight shift. Interestingly enough, as I got more politically active, um, I started to do a show where I was rebroadcasting um, lectures and talks that I thought, that I found that I thought were interesting and kind of mostly, mostly progressive 
professors and in, in, in talking about you know things like Howard Zinn and the uh, you know the history of the United States, the people's history of the United States, things like that that had helped me as a kid growing up in a community of privilege, you know, growing up in the mm-hmm. suburbs, my college education was a real awakening around race, class, and gender issues for me and helping me understand um, exactly how systems work and how they don't work for people. How much did that influence your decision to get a master's in American culture studies? It was huge. At that point in time, a lot of my heroes were professors and people that I thought that were thinkers, and I fancied myself, I'm going to be a, f- a future scholar and uh, mm-hmm. That did not happen, but uh, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> but you know I, that that awareness, that sort of consciousness raising for me, um, it was sort of a natural progression for me to continue to go to grad school. And like a lot of folks, it was also like, what am I going to do now? I wasn't sure what I was going to do, so it was a good way mm-hmm. for me to continue to stay academically active and and um, had the opportunity to teach, you know, as a grad student and taught, you know, I was teaching race, class, and gender to students back in 1996, you know, 97, you know, as a grad student. Uh, it was it was a really unique experience. And so uh, my, my studies in American culture studies were around how uh, independent media, underground media can raise consciousness or raise awareness around race, class, and gender issues for people specifically from communities of privilege, thinking about like, you know, uh, activists and, and punk rock kids and things like that. That uh, Yeah, so it was sort of like a, a little bit of a memoir slash you know, thesis that I worked on. That sounds awesome, though. It's a great example of how our experiences aren't necessarily succinct all into themselves. It's a continuum in how one fed into the other. It's funny, you know, the older we get, the more we look mm-hmm. back on our lives and those decisions we make. And, you know, people sometimes cringe about their 20s or whatever. And, I'm, you know, I don't cringe at all. I had many, my hair was many different colors. I had piercings and those sort of <laughs> things, all the trappings. But those are all, those all lead us to where we are today, right? And Absolutely. all those decisions at some point, you know, led us to where we are. And, and I have no regrets about any of that stuff, you know, the mm-hmm. cringe or not. <laughs> <laughs> it just is. Yeah, it is. And, and to that end, you can look me up in the blade and find pictures of me with purple hair from... Uh, my days uh, after grad school and when I was running a nonprofit organization here. And so how did you go from that to library science? I was focusing on independent media and the ways that that helps pull communities together, Mm -hmm. specifically around, um, you know, I was focusing on zines. This is all pre-internet days or early internet Mm -hmm. days. Um, And so I was thinking about how media, whether it's print media or audio, uh, documentaries, um, journalism, how they connect communities and um, for me, you know, I, it's funny, when I was getting my degree in American Culture Studies, I was also working in the Music and Sound Recording Archives at BGSU and also in the Pop Culture Library. They're both two well-respected aspects of that library. And I thought, I really want to go into libraries someday because this is, this is really where I felt at home. Um, I'll be working in an academic library someday. That has still not happened. I've never worked in an <laughs> academic library. But, you know, for me, working in independent media, I, I started a nonprofit organization while I was a grad student called uh, Allied Media Projects um, with some friends. And we were the, the goal of that nonprofit was to help connect people around the country to share skills. And again, this is not, you know, we're at a time where you could go on YouTube and find right. other people or uh, connect with other communities. This was a time when uh, that was not as easy to do. The idea of bringing people together to sh- share their skills in nonprofit media world, to me, was uh, a- as a way to kind of shine a light in the corners that we don't necessarily see. And so 
the idea of moving into library science or into mm-hmm. libraries where we're helping connect people to information, helping them shine their own flashlights in the corners and, and illuminate their world um, seemed like a really natural fit. It seemed kind of a, a little bit of a leap for folks, but to me it made complete sense to go from you know, independent media into access to information and media. That makes perfect sense when you explain it. But I think part of it, it gets to where there is a perspective. And I think a lot of times there's what do people who aren't familiar with libraries think and what do people who are familiar with libraries think? And, you know, librarians are some of the best problem solvers. There's all of these things that libraries do for academic institutions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and for, you know, the public as a whole. And so when you started working in libraries, you know, how are they different now than they were before? How did you see them evolving? They're completely different. My focus really in in library school, because a lot of folks don't know you have to get a master's degree to become Mm -hmm. a librarian. So I got my master's in library science at uh, University of Arizona. And again, it's one of those situations where I was living here in the Midwest, living in Toledo, could have gone to the University of Michigan, uh, Wayne State. There are a number of great library schools here in the Midwest, Kent State, mm-hmm. um, but decided to take a trip out of the Midwest, went to, the, went to Arizona, and my focus was on digital librarianship and digital preservation in, in the sense that um, how do we digitize our collections, our, our vast knowledge of, or collections of information and make those accessible to people regardless of where they are? I did not end up there. I ended up working for a nonprofit organization in New York City where we provided services and thought leadership and kind of direction and networking for the library profession there in the community. For me, it's, it's libraries have always not necessarily been, I grew up in libraries, of course, and, mm-hmm. and, and loved them as a child. But for me now, they're an engine of democracy at this mm-hmm. point. And, and they are kind of the last defender of democracy in a lot of ways, especially public libraries as a way for, regardless of who you are, where you come from, um, what you have or don't have, um, who you love, uh, you're welcome at the public library. And that to me is, is incredibly powerful. And if we were to try to create something like a public library today, it would be incredibly difficult to do. Ohio is the gold standard for public libraries, um, and that is because at the at, at, in Columbus, at the State House, our legislators recognize the importance of public libraries, and they fund them with something called the Public Library Fund, mm-hmm. which is not something that every state has. We're one of the only states that has that, um, and it's, I joke because you know, as I, I don't want to hear any more stories about people's love of their childhood library <laughs> and, and those stories are amazing of course like we all have them but there's so much more today as you said mm-hmm. you know they are uh, they're drivers of workforce they are um, they are a gateway to um, the internet for a lot of folks you know access to technology which we know uh, especially put in stark contrast over the last couple of years how important it is for people to be connected so true story I don't know if I ever told you this my first work-study job mm-hmm. in college mm-hmm. was working in the interlibrary loan department yeah. in our in our school's library. And you did so, not tell me that, no. Yeah, I can't believe I, you know, <laughs> I've, I've held this one back. Um, but it was amazing because, you know, one, it, it was a great opportunity for me because I learned a lot about not only the library, but about, you know, a lot of the things that you need to learn as a young person mm-hmm. who's going through school and becoming a professional. But the systems that we use then were state-of-the-art, mm-hmm. you know, and now they seem as archaic as right. dinosaurs. Right. <laughs> and so when you think about how libraries have been at the forefront of information and democracy, and, you know, you think of the foundings of the public library in, in America and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that, when you talk about the future of libraries, where do you see it going even further? 
it's difficult to say in part because I think one of the things that's really remarkable, specifically about the public library, is they've got their foot in this in tradition, mm-hmm. in you know centuries of tradition, and but at the same time are still able to be nimble and forward thinking enough to think about how our communities are going to want to use the public library in the next 10, 15, 20 years from now. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about our space, you know, and thinking about the Toledo Lucas County Public Library, we're really thinking a lot about importance of place mm-hmm. and how there are very few places for communities to come together, um, for individuals to come together, for groups to come together, for neighborhoods to come together um, and, and solve problems to share experiences, those sort of things. And, and I've been thinking about this a lot, especially as we're coming out of this pandemic and years of isolation and, and divisiveness in our communities. Um, I really think that the public library is one of those remarkable places where we can help our communities heal and come back together. Uh, and so to that end, I mean, we, we provide access to millions of, of books and millions of, of movies and, and albums and our albums. <laughs> yeah, showing my uh, you know, uh, music and, and streaming television and those sort of things. We're providing access to all of those sort of things, um, but at the same time, I really think it is it, it has never been more um, evident to me how important it is for the place and the place where people can come to be. And I think about um, we just launched something called the Same Cafe, which celebrated mm-hmm. its one year anniversary at the library, and that is a cafe where it's a participatory restaurant where people can. Uh, they can pay for their meal, or they can volunteer their time, or they can donate produce. And you see people from all walks of life experiencing their life in very different ways, all having lunch together. And mm-hmm. that, to me, is just an incredible testimony to the power of a public library to bring people together. That is amazing. You had mentioned a few moments ago about the power that libraries have in preserving democracy. Mm-hmm. You also gave a TED Talk not long after you became the deputy director of the library. And part of what you talked about was that libraries may be the answer to what divides us. And so I said that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it feels like an eternity ago. Yeah, that TED Talk, the Toledo, uh, TEDx Toledo. Um, 100%. 100%. And, I, and it's, I need to go back and watch that again because I have not, you know, I, I really do think, and it was a time where, you know, how do, it is one thing that we all share in common and we can and we can all invest in, we can all be part of. And I, I think it's probably more true now than it was when I gave that talk mm-hmm. back in 2016, which again feels like, feels like forever. A forever ago. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. So there are lots of misconceptions about libraries, and, mm-hmm. and I think we're, we're talking about a lot of those in, in terms of, you know, what do libraries really mean to us as as society and to humans? And you, you talked about Ohio being the gold standard because of the investment we've made. Our own Toledo Public Library has won awards very recently. Would you like to talk a little bit about that? Never in my wildest imagination could I, you know, think about us winning the National Medal Award, which is the nation's highest honor for uh, libraries and museums. The, the Institute for Museum and Library Services, which I just learned recently is the the nation's largest um, agency for arts and culture uh, mm-hmm. in in the country and um, they annually award um, uh, national medals to museums and libraries the same amount to each uh, to libraries and museums so four libraries and four museums were given the national medal uh, this year and Toledo Lucas County Public Library received that award and got to go to the White House and, and meet the first lady mm-hmm. uh, and and take along a community member Aya Khalil who's a uh, She is um, an Arabic uh, children's book author who um, she went with me as a community member. And it was just, we both were just uh, 
beside ourselves with how, you know, just being in the White House and meeting the First Lady. And, and really, I mean, it, it's, it's just a testament to the, to the 400 people that show up and do their work every day at the Toledo Lucas County Public Library. It's, um, it is, it's, it, it's one of those things where when I came here in 2015 as a deputy director, I knew that this was an incredible library system. And I said, I want more people in our community here to know this. And I also want people outside of our community to know that. And so here we are in, in 2023. And that's certainly been the case. And we've been able to shine a spotlight on, on Toledo and Lucas County and, and the, the, the incredible work that our staff does day in and day out. And it's not easy. I mean, working in the public library is is you know it is as rewarding as it is challenging and our staff show up day in and day out and I, you know especially during the pandemic you know mm -hmm. as we all know anybody working in any kind of public spaces um the challenge is there um but uh, to have that recognition uh to me was really gratifying to see our staff's work appreciated in that way it's interesting because i think that for a long time anything we talk about will always be marked pre-pandemic post-pandemic but when you kind of take the pandemic out of it, what do your days look like? And what are some of the favorite parts of what it is you get to do? I'll think about today. I mean, I started my day today with my leadership team. And that's a group of folks that when I, I was named director in August of 2019, um, after the untimely death of my predecessor, uh, who passed away in early 2019, and put together a leadership team that is changed a little bit here and there over the last couple of years, but I've got a group of folks that I just think uh, I love them dearly. I think they are remarkably talented folks who, who again, lead this institution uh, in ways that I could not have even imagined. And so, you know, started, spent my day this morning with them, a couple hours, having our weekly leadership team meeting, uh, spent some time at a, at a community event, as you, you attend many of those as well. Um, uh, went to meet a donor out at one of our branches who was, who was naming the children's area uh, for their family, uh, and then coming to spend time here with you. You know, and it's, I mean, one of the, I guess the one of the regrets I have about the work that I do is I don't get enough time to spend with my team out in the branches and so I try to make an effort to get out as much as possible but you know that's my job is very different than their jobs and mm -hmm. so I have work to do as well and uh, to me I just feel incredibly honored and humbled to be able to lead an institution that's been around for over 100, you know, 100 almost 185 years and to think about my little blip in that timeline <laughs> and trying to you know be a both thoughtful steward of this incredible resource. So one of the things that I appreciate about your leadership is the collaboration. Like I think of all the times that I've gone to the library and it's been for community events or meetings or things that are bringing people together and for events. And so that really seems to be something that you've embraced as a hallmark mm -hmm. of what the library is and does. And so could you talk about some of the innovative programs, some of the initiatives and ways that you embrace the community? Community and help them everyone understand who the library is. Yeah, and that's that comes directly out of the pandemic, to be honest with you. I had assembled a leadership team that was put in place actually one month before the pandemic started. And so we had never had a chance to work with each other. We were kind of thrown right into um, you know, crisis management. And at the end of 2020, beginning of 2021, we got together in Zoom rooms at the time still and mm -hmm. did some uh, several intensive leadership sort of visioning um, sessions with each other to kind of figure out where are we going to, where do we want to be when we come out of this pandemic? What is the public library going to be? And our vision was that we wanted to be the, the first place people turn to when they want to connect with one another or broaden their horizons. Mm -hmm. And that connecting with one another really is centered around us reinforcing the public library as this community platform. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, it is an asset that we all pay for, that mm-hmm. we all own. Um, we're, you know, I'm just the steward of it, and, and my, you know, our staff, we're, we're all stewards of this this asset. And so we came out of that recognizing that there's a lot of work that our community needs the public library to do, but we're not necessarily skilled or uh, experts in the, all of those areas. And I think about things like there's a trend right now, or it has been for maybe for the past 10 years or so, public libraries have been hiring social workers to come in and help people mm-hmm. who might be experiencing uh, different types of behavioral health issues or, or different types of trauma. And that has been valuable to many public libraries. But for us, we're like, we don't, that's not our area of expertise. And so we talk with our colleagues who are doing that work in the community and remind them that this is, you know, the public library is a platform on which you can engage community and, and provide those services. And so it's been rewarding to me to see, uh, you know, in the paper and local news, like seeing important community events happening and see the library as that backdrop. And, um, you know, we really are kind of a vessel, kind of a mirror to the community, people say, and and, 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 and a vessel for a lot of that work that has to have, you know, that we need to have happen. And, and I think about the library is that catalyst for positive change in the community, and and it's not us doing it; it's it's us providing that space and that 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 point of entry for a lot of folks. And part of it is because the trusted um, relationship the public library has with with so many of their neighbors and community members and people, you know, we have cultivated that trust for decades upon decades. Mm-hmm. And and again, that's one of those things that keeps me up at night and make sure that am I doing what I need to be doing as a mm-hmm. leader to continue to steward that trust and um, and so. You think about organizations, institutions that are using the public library to engage community. I think about some of the work we've been doing with Mercy Health, for example, mm-hmm. um, bringing in community nurses to provide, you know, wellness um, services. Um, work that we're doing with Owens, you know, helping you know helping students find their way into into programs, um, uh, learning about what they could do at at Owens. Um, we've been doing a lot of work recently. I think you had asked sort of sort of some of the innovative work we're doing and we've kind of taken the lead as an institution in bringing our community together around digital inclusion um, mm-hmm. and you know was thinking about when the um, investment in infrastructure and jobs act was being put together we recognized that there was going to be a lot of investment in broadband technology but also the services that go around digital inclusion and we hadn't been having any of those conversations as a community about what that means here mm-hmm. we knew that at the public library we saw people sitting outside our front steps using the Wi-Fi because we keep mm-hmm. it on 24 um, seven but that's not sustainable and so how do we make sure that everyone is sustainably connected in our community um, and so we've been kind of leading our community and convening people to think about what is their role you know we're talking about you know local elected officials you know mm-hmm. the city the county um, nonprofit organizations educational institutions um, arts and culture and bringing all those organizations together to think about what does digital inclusion look like in our community and how do we make sure that everyone is connected as they need to be. You can't do, there's so much of, you, you need to be able to participate in society, you have to be connected in, right. in almost every way, whether it's education or health and health and wellness um, or, or workforce um, or even just entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, we all deserve the right to have you know choice around what we want to be entertained by. Um, and the public library provides, you know, is providing some leadership around that work. And so I'm really proud of that. We, we loan hotspots to individuals to take the internet home with them. You know, mm-hmm. we have people that use our, you know, hundreds of computers every day, but you know, there's still work that needs to be done when they get home. And so being able to loan hotspots to folks to take home, uh, is, is another way that we're, that we're kind of helping bridge that gap for folks. So the broader work around addressing the digital divide, you talked about convening 
leaders and elected officials to talk about how to address it. What are some of the high points of the conversation? Where do you see the progress going? Are there initiatives that have come out regarding that? Well, I think our state, that work is being led by Broadband Ohio. And so I think there's, mm-hmm. they're figuring out they will serve as the kind of conduit for federal funding that will come down. And so really it was around us trying to figure out how can we be prepared to take advantage of those mm-hmm. resources. And so... Um, not to plug BGSU, but we worked with mm-hmm. their Center for Regional Development. Mm-hmm. Um, and many organizations have worked with them, but we worked with them to do a gap analysis of the community and understand where where are the challenges with people being connected. And, you know, there it's around affordability and access, um, but it's also digital literacy. And I think mm-hmm. um, whether or not you're connected or you have the devices to be connected, it's also about how do you use those effectively and safely. Um, and so our staff are doing that on a daily basis. And how do we do that in a more coordinated effort. Um, we're about to launch a pilot program in early next year that um, uh, we're calling Tech Shelf, which will essentially be a pop-up store to sell technology to community members for pennies on the dollar. So um, we're not a for-profit corporation. We don't really sell stuff. We tend to loan things to people <laughs> and expect them to come back. But we think that um, by using our foundation as a uh, library legacy foundation as a kind of incubator for that work, we can test, you know, what is it like to sell people their, te- you know, have ownership of that technology um, to be to get connected. So I'm in- I'm excited to see how that pilot comes together, and we'll be we'll be focusing on what we un- what we found out were the hotspot areas in our in our uh, in the city and the county where um, access is the most challenging, whether it's from affordability or access to broadband technology. You know, it's it's interesting. I think that long before the pandemic, a lot of us knew that internet connectivity wasn't a a luxury item. Mm -hmm. It it really is a utility. And I think that the dependence and reliance that was developed during the shutdown of the pandemic, I think has forced that out for a lot of people to to see. You you really, it's hard to function in any aspect of life without some level of connectivity. Absolutely. And I think our legislators recognized that at the federal level with the Affordable Connectivity Program, which really Mm -hmm. helped people. And it was essentially, you know, SNAP or, you know, for the internet, um, Mm -hmm. providing people with that monthly stipend. And uh, we're advocating, you know, as we do with a lot of all of our work, advocating for the continuance of that work, because I think it's it's been a a really good bridge for, for individuals to get them that that independence and that sustainability. One of the times that I came to the library to visit and had a tour, I got to see some of the wonderful collections that we have on the history of Toledo. And libraries often serve as the, the keeper and the repository for a lot of that local culture and history. How do you see the Toledo-Lucas County Public Library contributing to the preservation of, of who we are as Northwest Ohio? It's fascinating to me that not every public library has the the robust local history and genealogy department that we have. And it's one of those things that I took for granted before when I mm-hmm. was a library user. Um, but now as, as the director, I'm kind of, you know, thinking about how do we, it's, it's kind of an un, a hidden gem at the public library, especially at main library, our local history and genealogy, the people who know it, mm-hmm. oh, they know it and they're there <laughs> all the time and they, they, they love it dearly so much so that uh, when we had to close main library down for renovation for a year, which was not an easy decision to make, but it was the right one for all the reasons. Um, but local history folks said, we can't go a year without access, and so we ended up making 
cons making arrangements so that they could still get to local history, even though the rest of the building was under construction. Oh and my so, goodness! Um, it is it is a gem, and you know I think there was just a feature in the Blade last uh, over the weekend about some of the gems within our rare books room. But the work that our librarians do around genealogy, helping people trace their family roots. Uh, this is all work that's on my sort of wish list too. I don't, I frankly, you know, I've lived in Toledo for a long time now, but I don't know, you know, a fraction of the history I wish I knew about the, about the area. So between that and, and genealogy, those are both two things that I really want to, you know, bone up on myself because I, I don't know enough. And uh, they, you know, we have a genealogy fair that we just had this fall. Um, hundreds of people came out and, and the genealogists, they are, they are fanatical about that, that uh, department of Maine library and, and for good reason. It, not every public library has the kind of commitment to preserving local history that we that we do, and it's something that we're thinking about what is the most appropriate role for us to play in that. And so we've been collecting a lot of architecture drawings lately, which has mm -hmm. been really helpful for Toledo as we think about all the development that's happening downtown mm -hmm. and researching the history of, of downtown and those buildings. Um, it's just, uh, and, and even just the blade, I mean... Not, we're fortunate enough to have a local paper still. There right. are so many communities who do not have a local paper, and um, we recently were about to be able to provide access to digitized versions of the Blade for that the Blade recently digitized, and we'll be licensing to be able to provide access at the library, um, and that that'll be huge too because that is something that our 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 local history staff are constantly you know. Can you help me find this article from the Blade? You know, thirty years ago, <laughs> that's we can certainly do that. Absolutely, yeah. it'll be a lot easier now, though. <laughs> Absolutely, it will yeah. be. Yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. In addition to your work at the library, you are also a commissioner with Serve Ohio, Ohio's Commission on Service and Volunteerism. What exactly is that program, and can you tell us about it? I am still learning, and it's one of those mm -hmm. things, I, you know, I, as a librarian, I'm committed to lifelong learning, and it was an appointment that came out of nowhere. It was not an appointment that I sought, but uh, when I was asked to sit on that commission, I was I jumped at the chance. In essence, Serve Ohio really helps um, our state uh, and, and organizations throughout the state you know, put people to work to help make our state even better. Uh, and a lot of that comes through the AmeriCorps program. And so uh, one of my goals, you know, as a commissioner in that is to really make sure that we're in Northwest Ohio, we are not taking advantage as much of the AmeriCorps programs as we should be. Um, I believe there may be some AmeriCorps uh, mm -hmm. um, volunteers here uh, at Owens, but certainly throughout um uh, there's plenty more opportunities throughout Northwest Ohio that we should be taking advantage of. So that's, you know, I've only been on the commission for a little over a year now, so I'm kind of still learning the ropes and figuring out how I can be most useful to to that to that work. But certainly, I think helping raise the raise the awareness of those opportunities here in Northwest Ohio will be some of that work. That would be awesome. Yeah, be awesome. I mean, it's you know, I just came from uh, the the uh, Association for Fundraising Professionals lunch where they celebrate volunteerism and philanthropy throughout the community and is, you know, 450 people who are just dedicated to making this community better, either through fundraising or through philanthropy or through volunteerism. And, it, I, you know, as a father of nine-year-old twins, I'm looking forward to the day when I have more time to volunteer. Um, <laughs> but it's, it, I'm just consistently wowed by, you know, the dedication of our, of our neighbors and our community members who, who do their jobs all day long and then still find time to, to yeah. make their neighborhoods better and their communities better, the organizations that they believe in better. And I think that lots of places may be like that, but I think that's something that's very strong in Ohio, mm -hmm. and particularly in Northwest Ohio, where people are willing to dedicate their time, their energy, their resources yeah. for the sake of making their communities better. And, you know, you grew up in Northeastern Ohio, 
you came to Bowling Green, you went other places, Arizona, New York, and then you came back to Northwest Ohio. Yeah. What about it is exactly like you remember it? What about it is completely different? And why is it that you call this area of the state home? You know, I, when I left, I felt a little sheepish about it because prior to leaving, I was the biggest Midwest booster and I was, you know, you know, Midwest <laughs> is the best. And then I was like, oh, but I'm leaving for the Southwest and now I'm in New York City. Like, oh, what a, you know, what a traitor, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it's all of the things. I mean, the, the quality of life here is remarkable. I feel like Northwest Ohio, Toledo, Lucas County specifically, are, you know, and the, the greater Toledo region are um, just sort of an unsung gem that mm-hmm. I can't, I was talking about this with, with the, with the a uh, fellow community leader the other day about how, you know, I really want more people to know about it, but at the same time, I don't, because, uh, <laughs> you know, cause, you, know you, you get all those, you know, all the things that come with, you know, growth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a great place to raise a family. It is a great place to, uh, to have access to people like yourself, to be inspired by other leaders. It's, when I was in New York City, I was there for almost a decade, mm-hmm. and I felt like, the work that I was doing was important to the professional community I was working with, but I did not necessarily feel like I, as an individual, could make a change in my neighborhood um, in the way that I do here. I feel like the levers of power and the people who make decisions are far more accessible than anywhere else that I've been. And to me, that's inspiring because, I'm frankly, I, you know, if, if if I'm not making the world better <laughs> in the work that I'm doing in my in my free time, then you know, then what's it all for, right? And so. Um, the quality of life, the cost of living, like all of the things are still here that I love about um, about Ohio. It's, you know, I left here in 05 and came back in 15, mm-hmm. and um, it is a very different place. And even from 2015 to now, um, mm-hmm. you know, downtown Toledo uh, has changed dramatically, and it's, it's exciting to watch that and to be part of it and to be right in the middle of it, certainly right. with Main Library downtown and seeing all, all that's happened with our colleagues at the Metro Parks and you mentioned collaboration. I think that's one of the things too is that you've got organizations, institutions who work so well together, um, and that's um, that is something that's really easy to take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think we should, right? I mean, that's that's something that I do. You know, encourage my leadership team and, and other friends and colleagues to like step back and reflect on that. And at times that that we it doesn't always work this way. You know, you know, I can't necessarily call Dr. Somerville and say, hey, what about this? You know, and and float ideas by you or, or talk to my colleagues at the Metro Parks and say, hey, have you ever thought, what if we worked on this together? Um, those uh, those kind of conversations are harder to come by, I think, in a bigger city. And so I feel like, you know, a, a mid-sized city is, is a pretty good fit for me for, for the time being. One of our newer team members here, um, she and I were talking actually two days ago. And, you know, she's lived in smaller places and larger places. And we were having the exact same conversation that, you know, it's it has more than everything you need um but there's a lot of things that we're glad it doesn't have yeah yeah and we have world-class resources here Mm -hmm. i mean you have have a world-class art museum uh you know a nationally recognized um park system nationally Mm -hmm. recognized library system Um, all of those things are just we i think we punch above our weight certainly uh Mm -hmm. in in this region and, and it's yeah it's remarkable yeah it is it is well i would not be doing 
my job if I didn't ask the person who works with books every day about the favorite books. And so yeah, I remember, yeah. you know, one time I was in the library and, and was there for a meeting, was there early, and someone had talked about a book that was really good by Daniel Silva. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try and find it. And of course, you know, there is no, you know, cart catalog right, and Dewey Decimal right. System anymore. And you helped me find this Daniel Silva book that I was looking for. Who is your favorite author? What are your favorite kinds of books to read? Anything that you can enlighten us about you and your, your reading habits. Have I given you a copy yet of uh, uh, Palaces for the People? No. If I haven't, I will. Um, it's it's a book that I've been giving to especially friends and colleagues and community leaders. It's um, by Eric Kleinberg. He's a sociologist, and he was really focused on social infrastructure. So that's like my favorite nonfiction book of the last mm-hmm. you know five years. Where um, you know there's it it talks a lot about those institutions that help knit communities together. And mm-hmm. of course, public libraries are our main f- main feature of that. Um, so palaces for the people is certainly one of those. Um, uh, I read a memoir this year called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult by Maria Banford. Um, she's a comedian. Um, she's a comedian. She's a mental health advocate, um, and she has had a wild life. And I listened to the audiobook because a lot of folks don't necessarily consider audiobooks reading, but they certainly are. Mm-hmm. They absolutely are. You have it's to the pay only attention way. differently. You I pay think. attention differently. And it's mm-hmm. funny, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I feel like more audiobooks I listen to, it changes how I think about things longitudinally and be able to like... So, you know, listening to that audiobook, she she narrates the book, and she's a hilarious comedian, and she uh, and she talks about, you know, challenge, you know, her own mental health challenges as a memoir um, in a way that is hilarious. And so I, that was, that's been my probably one of my favorite... Uh, books this year that I've been recommending to folks. It's not for everybody, but it's, uh, it's, it is, it is, it's funny, but it's also, uh, I think really enlightening, uh, but a hundred percent audiobooks absolutely are reading. Uh, mm-hmm. if anybody says otherwise they are wrong. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I completely yeah. enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. I'm thrilled to know more about you and your background and your library and really the vision for the library and what it means to us as a modern society. Um, I think that transformation is real, and I appreciate your leadership for our Toledo-Lucas County Public Library. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thank Good you. Good to be a colleague and, and fellow community leader with you. We can do great things. Absolutely, yeah. we can. Yeah. Thank you. Jason, thank you so much for being with us today. I admire your commitment to our community and appreciate everything that you do. Thank you for your time today. And thank you to all of our listeners. Please remember to subscribe and join us for future conversations. Until next time, take care.